You are listening to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast presented by Realm of the Mist Entertainment with your host, John Tolley. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us again. Unfortunately, the the pilot is on crew rest right now. Mark Tolley can't join us. However, we have somebody joining us that, um, you know, it's a guest the first time that I've done it. I've got Joe Cahill with me today, as always. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing really good, Ray. How about you? I'm hanging in there. And now, to the guest. To the, the guest extraordinaire. We have with us a gentleman... Who most Star Wars fans are going to recognize, at least by name, C. Andrew Nelson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? Oh, we are flying the course. We're we're excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can get this done within 12 parsecs. Okay. (laughs) But you're supposed so, to say to me, well, you, you, we would be honored if you would join us. <laughs> well, we've already been that. Yeah, oh, okay. we're, we're there. We're, we're... <laughs> oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Um, <laughs> so, Mr. Nelson, I think first what we should do is have everybody get familiarized with who you are. So, if you could, in a few short words, could mm-hmm. you tell everybody why you're on War of the Stars? I certainly can. Um, I'm C. Andrew Nelson. I'm an actor, visual effects artist, and animator. And I spent 12 years playing the character of Darth Vader for Lucasfilm and the Lucas Companies. So you'll find me in the special edition of the original trilogy as Vader. I'm in the video games like Rebel Assault 2 and Dark Forces playing Vader. I'm in just about every commercial you've seen the character in. Lots of TV show appearances, print ads, magazine covers, toy packaging. I'm even on a postage stamp as Darth Vader. I thought you had to be (laughs) dead to be on a postage stamp, but apparently not. Wow. Um, But in addition to being an actor, I'm also a visual effects artist and animator. And I spent six years at LucasArts, the game company, designing and creating games there, including a lot of Star Wars games. Um, And then I moved from there to Industrial Light and Magic to work on the effects for the Star Wars prequels. And other films like Galaxy Quest and Jurassic Park 3 and Perfect Storm and Rocky and Bullwinkle and a whole bunch more. Um, wow. That's I'm also impressive. a voice actor. I do voices for games and animation. And I actually did Luke Skywalker's voice for some of the LucasArts games, which makes me the first actor to officially portray both Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. It also apparently makes me either my own father or my own son. I don't know. It's, I was it's about to say, odd. please tell me at some point you said, I am my own father. <laughs> I well, have, yes. <laughs> well, and, and as Luke, we know he made out with his sister, so. I know, it's a weird thing. I, I, Mom's I not too far to outside George there. <laughs> I, I think George might have had a thing for Greek mythology. I think so. <laughs> Oedipus, call your mother. <laughs> Oh, geez. Well, you know, kind of segueing into that, uh, just recently on one of the other shows, we we kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, I'd like to kind of bring it up again since it's kind of our wheelhouse here. Recently in the news, we've all seen um, a, a book had come out recently in which um, 
the subject matter was that George Lucas felt betrayed uh, mm. for for what had happened with um, you know the the new trilogy and potential possible things going on afterwards. So I would like to get your opinion on that. Like, how do you how do you feel about this whole thing? Okay, obviously you're talking about Bob Iger's book that came I out. I am. I am. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, the way that the, the the industry works is that there are no guarantees on anything. Even if there's a contractual guarantee, there's still no guarantee on things. Um, as far as I've heard, it sounds like uh, when George sold Lucasfilm to Disney, and I always knew he would. I knew he would. Um, a lot of people say, oh, he's going to pass it down to his kids. And it's like, no, I know he's not going to do that. He's going to take care of his kids, he, you know, took care of their education, gave them a break in, in certain areas. But, you know, he wanted them to make their own way in the world and make their own fortunes. And that's what they're doing. Um, so I knew he wasn't going to pass that down to them. Um, and it seemed, I mean, I'm, I'm, I always assumed that Disney would be a perfect fit for things. Um, but uh, when he did this and i think it was from what i've told been told uh, um, i can't verify this but the the treatments that george came up with for a sequel trilogy uh were actually in the works before he had signed the contract with disney and mm-hmm. uh, for disney to buy the the, you know, the the company but when he he did so there was the understanding that they weren't you know uh, they weren't obligated to use his storylines there. So, um, but I imagine also it was, it was a little, a little, uh, surprising for, you know, for George to, 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 to find out that they were going a different direction with things. Um, especially considering, you know, the Kathleen Kennedy is one of George's, you know, closest friends and everything like that. So, but, uh, also you have to understand that George has a wicked sense of humor. He has a really good, funny, dark sense of humor. That I, I was lecturing once in, in Modesto at the uh, Modesto Junior College uh, doing a, a, a lecture on how Star Wars and Lucasfilm changed the way that movies are made. I mean, it literally changed the entire Hollywood model. Everything from production, pre-production, production, post-production, licensing, marketing, everything. Changed it all. And I did this lecture, and afterwards... Uh, a woman came up and introduced herself. It was George's sister, who still lives in, in, in Modesto there. And I, I said to her, well, how did I do? And she said, well, you described my brother to a T. And I said to her, I think the one thing that doesn't come across in a lot of the interviews with George is how funny he is and, and the this, this sense of humor that he has. So when George made the, the comment, um, I forgot who he was being interviewed by, whether it was 60 Minutes or something, he made a, a comment about he felt like he had sold... Uh, his uh, children to, 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 you know, to slavers, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, that was George's sense of humor. <laughs> and I'm sure his wife, Melody probably said, you can't say that. <laughs> like, well, but, but, uh, but that's, that's George's sense of humor. He does have that kind of sense of humor. There may, may have been a little bit of a, a sting in there as well. Um, but sure. I mean, Sure, I imagine George was disappointed that they weren't going in the same direction that he wanted to go with things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm sure he knew that they were un- under no obligation to do so. Okay. But, yeah. You so, know, you, so, so you suspect that it was probably just taken out of context then? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a fly on the wall. I don't know. But it's, uh, it's, 
it's possible that uh, that even what what uh, uh, Bob Iger wrote in his book is being taken, you know, uh, too seriously by some people and thinking, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, George was completely betrayed. And like, <laughs> That's I know I'm, George is a smart guy. He's a very, very smart guy. And he knows how, you know, how Hollywood works. And he knows, he must have known that they were under no obligation to use this storyline. Right. Disappointed, yes. Um, maybe he didn't care for what was done with, uh, with the films uh, up to this point. But at the same time, you know, he, it's not, I don't think it, it, it like, you know, was uh, it, like, like he walked into the theater and, and to see the film and was like, oh my gosh, they didn't use my storyline. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you know, we only have Iger's word on what was said. This could course. have been a big right. ploy to help him get more yeah. book sales. Sure. Uh, you know, George hasn't gonna... even come out and commented. So... Right. I, I would never put words in George's mouth. And, and uh, he's, he's a nice guy. He's a sharp guy. He's, 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 he's a, uh, you know, in many ways, and I've talked with people who, who you know, knew Walt Disney and, and, and worked with him and everything. They said that uh, George has got a lot of that kind of quality, that sort of intuitive uh, quality about, about business and about people and everything. So, I see. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think he was completely blindsided. You know, I may be wrong, but <laughs> I don't think he was blindsided. That's that's just my take. You know, one right. Sith Lord's opinion. <laughs> Joe, what do you think? Oh, I, I I think that's probably very true. We kind of discussed this on um, Realm of the Mists the other yeah. day. Uh, I think it was Iger just getting more books sold. Yeah, um, I mean, it's good for print. It, yeah, it is. It, you know, it's, it, it, Sets that that tone out there and, and gets more people looking. Look, it goes. It, it's the same way that we, we we do things with our resumes. You know, it's like we always want to try to spin things in in, in the best possible light, or what's going to get the most attention and things like that. Um, when I was uh, after I left Industrial Light and Magic, I was offered a full time faculty position at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. So I ran the visual effects department there, overseeing the whole visual effects curriculum and and teaching a full slate of classes. Uh, uh, and different uh, disciplines there, and one of the classes I taught was a, a portfolio class, basically how to get a job. You know, so we didn't we weren't just teaching them how to make pretty pictures; we were trying to get them employed doing that as well. <laughs> and uh, which is fun because, you know, I worked on the effects for uh, *Phantom Menace* and *Attack of the Clones*, and my students ended up working. Some of my students ended up working on *Revenge of the Sith*. So you know, the circle is now complete. But I would tell them, I would tell them when I, when I said when you're making your resume. Find the best possible way. Don't lie on your resume. Never lie on your resume, but find the best possible way to present things. Like, you know, years ago when I was you know, like a, a teenager young or early 20s, I was working at for Roundtable Pizza, you know, a chain of pizza restaurants. And, um, you know, I, I was trying to figure out, well, how do I make this look the best as possible on my resume as I'm trying to get, you know, better jobs elsewhere? And I happen to be someone who, like, uh, I was kind of like a shift supervisor at, at, by the time I left there and was teaching people that would come in from other franchises across the country and learn how to do things the roundtable way. And I thought to myself, okay, well, what's, a, what's, what's the name of the parent company? Instead of just calling it Roundtable Pizza, and it's like, well, Roundtable Food Enterprises. Oh, that sounds much more impressive. Okay, and what can I call my position? Well, procedures trainer sounds so much better than pizza chef <laughs> or something because <laughs> I was teaching people procedures. Things. So you find a way to spin it. So I think Iger probably was doing that with his book and 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 you know, trying to find the most interesting way to tell the story. It it, it in the end, it's not just a a reference guide. It's it's 
you want to capture the reader's attention. So, you know, all books are kind of like that. This is true. I, I, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Andrew. I have an answer. Let's see if they match. Let's work on that. <laughs> Which came first, the acting or the special effects? The acting the came first. The acting came first. I, uh, I started acting when I was 10 years old. I started off in theater and then eventually moved into film and television and commercials and games and voiceover and that sort of thing. But I started acting when I was 10 years old, um, and mainly because I was always fascinated with costumes. And uh, so, you know, interesting that I end up wearing the most iconic costume in cinema history. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but as a kid, I was like, you know, I, I liked it because it was like, you know, dressing up and playing make-believe and everything. And then, and then somebody told me, what? Oh, they'll pay you to do that? Sure, sign me up. I'll do it. So, uh, yeah, so I started off acting when I was about 10 years old, and then I started doing animation when I was about 12. Um, I had a, uh, a, a Super 8 film camera. Actually, my grandfather had the Super 8 film camera that I borrowed from him. Yeah, he didn't really get it back. But, um, <laughs> and uh, I was basically that kid. If you see J.J. Abrams' film Super 8, that was me. I was that kid in, like, in, in, in junior high and high school, always trying to make a movie and, and uh, you know, I'm trying to get the, uh, the cute girl to be in the movie and everything like that. You know, everything except for the aliens invading Earth. Uh, it, that, was my, that was me in, as a kid. Um, so uh, I started off with stop motion animation and also doing cutout animation. I was trying to emulate stuff that, uh, that uh, like Terry Gilliam did on Monty Python's Flying Circus, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then also I wanted to be the next Ray Harryhausen. I absolutely wanted to be the next Ray Harryhausen. He was my hero and, and, and my idol and um, as a visual effects artist. And so I studied his stuff, and I was doing stop motion and got to meet Ray, and uh, he encouraged me and, and, uh, and uh, kept going at it. But then in the, uh, the summer of 77, I saw this little film that came out, kind of an obscure uh, science fiction film called Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing yeah, that in 77. Yeah. So yeah. A few people saw it. A few people saw it. And uh, so I was, I saw it in San Francisco because I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, it was at the, the Coronet Theater, which sadly is gone now. Uh, but I remember the, it was about three days after, three weeks after the film had come out. So um, it was about just six days after my, my 15th birthday. And I had to stand in line to, uh, to, to get a ticket. And we stood in line for hours, my friends and I, hours and hours to get this ticket. And that was just to get the ticket. And then we had to stand in another equally long line to get into the theater. But somehow I managed to get what I believe was the absolute best seat in the house. And that opening scene where the rebel blockade runner flies right over your head, followed by that massive Star Destroyer, I looked up at the screen and I thought to myself, I want to do that for a living. Well, here's the problem. There was nowhere to go to learn how to do that for a living because those guys that were doing that, they were making that up as they went along. You know, guys like Dennis Muren and Richard Edlund and, and John Dykstra and those guys... This was all brand new territory, so there was nowhere for me to go to learn this stuff. So I, I actually uh, dragged my father all around the, uh, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area to every comic book shop, every magazine stand, every bookstore, library, things like that, so I could find any interview with these guys, any, uh, you know, any tips, anything I could piece together. And then I started experimenting with my Super 8 film camera. And some of the stuff was impressive, and some of it was, yeah, uh, not that good. <laughs> but I learned each time. And, uh, you know, but then, you know, I, and I kept on acting. I, I was always acting. Uh, but I didn't get my, my first break until I actually got hired at LucasArts. I, I did one other little thing uh, working on a, on a game prior to that. 
uh, a game. Uh, oh, what was the name of the game now? Um, uh, Wrath of the Gods. Wrath of the Gods. It was sort of a, a point-and-click adventure game that used uh, as close to full-motion video as they could get at that time. This was 1992. Um, but that helped me get the gig at, at LucasArts. So. That's awesome. That's, and then, that's such and a then I learned story. a lot on the job at LucasArts. Because when I first got hired at LucasArts, I was hired in the customer support department. I was looking for a foot in the door anywhere. And I had sent my resume around to every production company, every studio, every television station, every game company in, in, in Northern California and got a lovely stack of rejection letters. Because the problem was I, was I was answering all these ads and I was contacting all these pe people using those books. You know, they've got those resumes that knock them dead and cover letters that knock them dead. Anybody mm -hmm. who's listening right now, if you've got those books, put them in the recycling bin right now. They're absolutely worthless. They <laughs> teach you how to sound like everybody else and that will not get you hired. So ah. when I finally, I saw an ad in this, you know, before Craigslist and Monster and all these websites and LinkedIn that help you find jobs, uh, before the internet, basically, uh, <laughs> in, in 1990, uh, end of 92, I saw, uh, or actually no, it was January of, of 93, I saw an ad in the San Francisco Examiner Chronicle newspaper in the, in the classified ads saying that, that Lucasfilm Games, they weren't even called LucasArts yet, they were called Lucasfilm Games, was looking for a customer support representative, you know, a tech rep. So uh, that was what I applied for. And so basically, if you bought a game and you couldn't get it to run on your computer and you looked in the back of the manual and you found the 800 number and you called up and you were all really angry, I was the guy that answered the phone. <laughs> I, did, I, <laughs> I think I did spoke with from, you. <laughs> And to show you how small LucasArts was at the time, this was uh, right. This was actually before Rebel Assault uh, was released, uh, the original Rebel Assault. This was uh, right after um, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. That was the newest game. And uh, when they hired me and they hired one other guy, they doubled the size of the customer support department. So there were four of us plus a manager. Um, and so I did that for a year, answering the technical support uh, calls and built up my, uh, my uh, portfolio and made friends in the company and eventually submitted my portfolio to the art director. Colette Michaud was her name. And if anybody is a big fan of uh, Steve Purcell and Sam and Max and, and uh, the movie Brave and all the stuff he does at Pixar, that's, that's his wife. Uh, uh, she was the art director at the time. And I submitted my portfolio to her and she looked at it and she goes, well, this is basically junior level stuff. I said, oh, thank you. Stick the knife in and twist it. But she saw that I had a background <laughs> in, in video. Because I had worked, as when I was in high school, I had worked at my local cable access TV station. Now, nowadays, we have YouTube, we have the internet. But back in the day, it was mandated by uh, municipalities, mandated by federal law, that every municipality had to have some kind of cable access, some kind of community television station, so that the public had access to address you know, their fellow public within their town. And so... Uh, I had this cable access TV station in my hometown of Pacifica, California, and I, I started working there. In fact, when I first started working there, Dana Carvey from Saturday Night Live was working there. Uh, oh, wow. So, wow. so him for a bit. Yeah, I've crossed paths with a lot of people from SNL over the years. Uh, Rob Schneider went to my rival high school. We're the same age. And uh, we both started doing stand-up comedy at around the same time and played some of the same clubs in San Francisco, like Holy City Zoo and stuff like that. But I digress. So I, I worked at this, uh, this cable access TV station, and that background in video is what got me hired into the art department at, uh, at LucasArts because the, there were only two people in the company at the time that knew anything about video. And one of them was on sabbatical, and the other one 
was tied up on another game. So she brought me in in the bottom of the ladder at the art in the art department as a, a position called art technician. And see, she was doing a, a game that involved a lot of full motion video. And so she needed somebody who understood something about video. So I was brought in as art technician, which basically meant I didn't do any art. <laughs> I was <laughs> taking art that the artists were doing, and which was uh, it millions of colors. And at that time, we were doing PC games, and you could only have about 256 colors. Mine actually subtract 32 colors from that because those were the colors that were designated for the Windows interface. If you touch those colors, everything on your screen went wonky. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> I was, so I was taking these things that were millions of colors and dropping the palette down to you know less than 256 colors and trying to make it still look pretty. And so when I started, I started on a game called Mortimer and the Riddles of the Medallion. A lot of people have never heard of this game. That's all right. It, it was a good game. Didn't sell very well. It was LucasArts' one edutainment game. Um, about a flying snail. <laughs> and uh, so when I started on that game, I was art technician, but by the time the game shipped, I was lead effects animator and then became a, a visual effects supervisor and senior artist soon after that and then moved over to ILM and all that. But the whole time, I was, I've was i always done both acting and visual effects and animation because I learned at a, uh, uh, at an early age that if you can do both, you work more often throughout the year because they're the opposite cycles of each other. Oh, okay. So there, there's your long-winded answer to, to the question. Bet you regret it now, huh? <laughs> no, no, it was Not great stuff. So, okay. it, it, so it sounds like you went acting, mm -hmm. art, yeah. and then you picked back into the acting because they yep. grabbed you for Vader. Yes, they did. And I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, they grabbed me for Vader. I mean, they, they literally kind of out of nowhere. I was sitting at my desk at LucasArts. It was uh, uh, June of, of 94. Uh, so I'd been there about a year. And I'm um, sitting at my desk doing my job, minding my own business, and my phone rings. And it was the head of public relations who was upstairs from me. And she doesn't even say hello. She starts off the conversation by saying, hey, Andrew, how tall are you? <laughs> well, you know, she, I, 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 I was kind of taken aback by that. And I just said to her, I'm six foot five. Why do you ask? She was about five foot one. So I figured she just wanted something down off the shelf. You know, because if you're tall, that's what happens. And, 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 you know, they had a bunch of their, 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 uh, their you know, press material up on these high shelves up there in the office. I, I was assuming I was going to come upstairs and say, you know, can you get that for me? And I said, all right, here you go. Uh, but then she says to me, do you have any acting experience? And, you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone, you can't see their face, but you can kind of hear a smile in their voice. Yeah. That was what I was hearing, and I'm thinking, okay, there's more to this. And so I'm, <laughs> the wheels are spinning in my head, and I'm trying to put the pieces together. And so I told her, yeah, at that point I'd had about 20, 25 years of, of, of film and theater and television, and I told her that. And then she hits me with this. She says, can you breathe for me? <laughs> so, no, I, I did not do the, you know, the smart aleck thing of <laughs> like that. I didn't do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm putting the, the, I'm putting all the pieces together and I'm trying to figure it out and I go, okay, how tall are you? Do you have any acting experience? It's a Lucas company. Can you breathe for me? And I leaned into my phone and I went. <laughs> like that. And I go, and then I go, all right, well, so what's going on here? And she explained to me that they were looking for somebody to play Vader for a meet and greet, for a charity event, for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. This is before the 501st and all that. These wonderful people that I'm a very proud honorary member of being uh, of their group there. Uh, but this is before that. And so uh, they were looking for a meet and greet uh, at the Marin County Fair that summer. 
the night before the, the fair opened, they wanted these kids from uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters of America to have a chance to have their photo taken with Darth Vader. And uh, there had been a guy that had been doing personal appearances as Vader for the company, but he had left the company and he moved back to uh, Michigan. Uh, Tom Bewley is his name. And um, so uh, they knew I had a background in acting. This was all kind of like a setup and everything. So uh, she said to me, to, I got I to gotta call Don Bees. I know a lot of you probably know who Don Bees is. Modeler from the uh, Island Model Shop. Archivist from the, uh, from the archives at Skywalker Ranch. Uh, great guy. Um, but I didn't know him at that point yet. So, uh, I, so I called Don up at the ranch. Because he was up there, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be down at ILM this week, so why don't you come see me over at ILM? I said, cool. So this is my first time going to ILM. It's like, we were right across, the, I was right across the parking lot from ILM, working at, at, at LucasArts. Um, but I hadn't been inside, really. And so I figured it's going to be high security, things like that. So I, uh, I'm, I'm walking up to one of the, you know, the, the, the doors there, and I, and I can see down the hallway through this door, there's the Darth Vader costume in this, uh, you know, a plexiglass case. And I'm looking at it as I'm walking up to the building. I'm going, oh, my gosh, the thing's huge. I'm never going to fit in that thing. Well, at least I get to see ILM. But I, I was expecting, you know, high security and stuff. And I, and like, you know, hey, who are you? You know, you can't come in here. It's restricted. That kind of thing. Uh, and um, when I walk up, I had to flag people down. I was like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm looking for Don. Who? Don, Don Bees. Oh, yeah, over there. So I finally I find Don. I'm walking through the model shop here, and I'm seeing all these great stuff from from like you know Ghostbusters two and things like that, and Dragonheart. And, uh, and so I finally find Don, and he says, "Hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. You're not claustrophobic, are you?" <laughs> no. So then he introduces me to Nelson Hall from the uh, the Island Model Shop, uh, who's worked on so many different films and productions. And then Nelson says, "Hey, great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hey, you're not claustrophobic, are you?" Uh, no, I'm not claustrophobic. And then they introduced me to Grant Imahara, which a lot of people know know from MythBusters. Um, and yeah. so Grant says, "Hey, great to meet you. Not, you're not claustrophobic, are you?" Oh my <laughs> At this goodness. point, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I am. <laughs> so so they, they they give me the nickel tour, and we're 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 and they're they're acting like it's a done deal. And uh, so we end up in that room where I had seen the Vader statue from a distance, and now I'm standing right in front of this thing, and I'm looking at it. And it's huge. And I'm going, that's, n I'm never going to fit into that. I'm never going to fit into that thing. And then Don tells me, oh, yeah, this is one we made for Planet Hollywood. It's a lot beefier than the real one. And I'm thinking, oh, whew. So then the, a couple days later, I had to go up to Skywalker Ranch and try on the actual costume. And uh, so I tried it on. And I must say, it's a little disorienting when you first put it on, looking through the lenses of that thing. And so it took a moment to get used to it. And it's heavy as well. I don't know exactly how heavy because it's 17 pieces if you include the lightsaber hanging off the belt. Holy and you have girl. to put it on very slowly. It takes about 40, 45 minutes to get into it because you want to make sure everything looks just right. And the, 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 the lines of the surcoat are going straight up and down and the chest box is in the right place. And that's why, I mean, you know, God bless them. I, 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 you know, all the people that play Vader at the Disney parks and everything, but whoever's working those costumes, sometimes they get the chest box down around the belly button. And uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a chest box, not a gut box. So, but you want to make sure the costume is, you know, in the, in the right spot and everything is in the right place and, you know, all the fingerprints are, you know, you know, removed off the helmet. So it takes about 45 minutes to get into the costume. It takes about five minutes to get out at the end of the day because at that point it doesn't matter what it looks like. Right. It's hot, it's comfortable, and just get me out of this thing, turn it inside <laughs> out if you have to. So I tried on the costume. It fit. 
we did that one event and I just thought, oh my gosh, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. That's never going to happen again. I just think I had a chance to do it. But then they called me back for something else. And they called me back for the games. And they called me back for the special edition. And then I ended up playing Vader 70 times over 12 years. My wife made, wow. me, keep count. My wife made me keep count after a while. So I'm told I've spent more time in the official Vader costume than anybody else. I'm not going to argue with Lucasfilm over that. So. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, you guys win. Uh, sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's cool. That, yeah. That, what a privilege. And yet another long-winded answer. <laughs> Oh, no, I love them. Yeah, they're yeah. great. They're great. <laughs> Three days later, the podcast is still going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, thanks. You know, thanks for coming. Uh, oh, well, let me tell you this other story. I, no. <laughs> I could probably write deal. a book at this point. I really, I, I should. My wife keeps telling me I should write a book. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should. You yeah, should. I agree with that. Okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that'd All be right, a top I'll seller. I'll do it then. The man behind the mask. <laughs> yes, it's hot. It's hot in here. <laughs> and done. That's yes. the whole book right there. Right there. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so what? What were your opinions on? Um, you know, a lot of people are kind of torn one way or another with the way everything is turning out with the um, the new trilogy that's been going on. Uh, how do you feel about it all? And then he leads his guest into the minefield. Oh, yes. <laughs> I like Into the here. asteroid field, yes. Um, all right, I, I is, like okay. Sonic detonators. They're fun. Yes. Here, catch. <laughs> uh, um, um, okay, I'll, 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 I'll be honest. I, I won't be brutally honest. I'll be honest. Um, I'll tell you, I, I enjoyed The Force Awakens. I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. Um, I, I did something interesting with The Force Awakens because I wasn't working on it. Um, I decided I wanted to see if I could see a brand new Star Wars film without any knowledge of it prior to it coming out and have that same feeling that I had when I saw New Hope back in 77. Mm -hmm. So I told everybody that I knew that was working on it, uh, everybody at ILM that I knew that was working on it, I said, don't tell me anything. I told Peter Mayhew and, and his wife Angie, don't tell me anything about it. You know, I, I want to be surprised. And I, uh, I, I, I actually... Stayed away. I didn't even watch the trailers, which is actually less than what I did for New Hope, because obviously I saw the trailers for New Hope. Um, but uh, and it, a wonderful thing is all the all the the great Star Wars fans on social media, on Facebook and elsewhere. They when they found out that I was doing this and that I was staying away from all of this, they said, "Okay, no spoilers until Andrew's seen the movie." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, that is this is why Star Wars fans are the absolute best. They really are." And you know, and I count myself among one of the fans. So, uh, so I didn't know anything about the film. hadn't even seen the trailer. Uh, I did kind of cheat. I didn't see it in a theater. I saw it at, at ILM at a screening there. Oh, um, so, uh, so I really enjoyed The Force Awakens. I loved Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was a was amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, probably absolutely. the best, in my opinion, the best Star Wars film since uh, since uh, Empire Strikes Back. Just absolutely phenomenal i think it's not only is it a great star wars film it's a great war film and it's just a great film it's good cinema and uh so i i was i was very impressed by that yeah i really like and, rogue one i think a lot of yeah. people would agree with you on that rogue one was probably one of the best ones mm -hmm. in in the newer ones yeah and then there's the last jedi 
<laughs> and then there's the and last there was guy. an awkward silence. <laughs> you can see we uh, all jumped right at that one. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the film. I really, I really wasn't. A, uh, I didn't care for it. I really didn't. I. Um, it's. To me, I, I, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash the film or anything, but it just, it, for me, it just didn't satisfy what I was looking for, either from a Star Wars film or just from cinema in general. I thought that, uh, okay, if it, if you're gonna judge it as a Star Wars film, it breaks a lot of canon, mm-hmm. back and forth. It's like, okay, we're gonna break canon. No, we're not gonna break canon. Yeah, we're breaking canon. Haha. So, um, <laughs> I thought that the direction that it took the character of Luke is somewhere that Luke would never have gone. He would never have been. He, he's like, they, they took Luke, who is the new hope, who has always represented hope, and turned him into Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. I mean, it's just, it's, it's he's get like, you get off my lawn. Get off my yard. Get off my porg. Luke. Now, having said that, Mark Hamill did an amazing performance. He's, he's a brilliant actor, absolutely brilliant actor. I can never slight him on that. I just think that the script itself was lacking. I also thought that there was a lot of stuff in the film that was very gratuitous, meaning it just didn't need to be there. The mm-hmm. whole sequence at the casino and the whole sequence with, uh, with uh, Finn and, and Rose and, and, and the animals, the herd of animals, it does nothing to move the story. It, you could cut all that out, and it makes no difference. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, that called, it, Joe? Filler. <laughs> filler, yes. That's it's called filler, filler, and oh, now we can have a few yeah. more little animal creatures for the I, uh, I, merchandising. I, I sometimes wonder if maybe there was a lot of stuff that was in Ryan Johnson's head that didn't make it to the screen, but he was filling in the blanks himself. That sometimes happens with films, and I see that. So, so yeah, so I was very disappointed in The Last Jedi, to the point that I actually didn't even see Solo. Oh. And, and and I've heard Solo's not that bad a movie. My other reason for not seeing Solo is I never wanted Han Solo's backstory. It wasn't necessary. Han Solo had a complete story arc from New Hope to Return of the Jedi. And, then, and, and, and of course, if you want to include uh, uh, you know uh, Force Awakens there, too. But he already had a complete story arc. I like the mystery of I don't know who he is before New Hope. So I didn't need to see anything before that. Didn't interest me. That's fair. That's right. yeah. how, how do you feel about the Obi-Wan uh, little spinoff they're coming out with? Now, that actually sounds intriguing, because I would, I would like to see more of Obi-Wan's story. I'd like to know what happened between uh, Revenge of the Sith and, and, uh, and New Hope. That intrigues me. Also, yeah. the, the Mandalorian show looks pretty darn good. Um, you know, and John Favreau, great, great you know, uh, a filmmaker and great storyteller. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. But yeah. uh, but it's 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 after Last Jedi, it's kind of hard for me to get excited about Rise of Skywalker. I don't, it, I just don't know what to expect, and it's it's kind of like, um, gee, how do I? I don't, no, I can't say it like that. That's not very nice. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, you know, it's like I I almost feel like I I've been uh, you know I I've been. Uh, dis- well, I'll just use the term disappointed. I was so disappointed by by Last Jedi that it's hard for me to muster excitement for uh, Rise of Skywalker. So I'm going to wait until I hear word of mouth, maybe, or maybe I'll get I'll, I'll you know if, when when there's a screening at ILM, I know there's going to be like a Visual Effects Society screening or something like that. I'll I'll, I'll probably end up going to that instead. But uh, but yeah, so 
but I'm not I'm not in a rush to see it. Okay. I hope it's good. I really hope it's good. I hope J.J. Abrams is able to to piece it all back together and 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 make it work. Um, you know, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll just that's just it. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. And that's the sure. thing, you know, Star Wars, you know, it's, it means different things to different people. And not everybody's going to like everything. Not everybody liked the prequels. Not everybody likes the sequels. Not There are people who grew up on the, on the prequels and the sequels or, or, or one or the other and don't like the original films as much. So it's, you know, everybody, there's, a, there's enough Star Wars for everybody. So, you know, that, so we'll have to wait and see. So, so what's next for you? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's always something in the works. Um uh, right now, I'm actually working with a company called Theme Parkology. Uh, they produce a lot uh, documentaries on various uh, theme park attractions and theme parks, a lot of Disney stuff. And um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, uh, my buddy Jerry Cornell, who runs that company, he, he contacted me and he asked me if I would edit his documentary on the history and making of the Pirates of the Caribbean attractions at the Disney theme parks. And of course, I said yes. Uh, so I was the editor for that. I did all the animated titles for it and even did an interview in there talking about how influential Pirates of the Car- Caribbean was, not only within the theme park industry, but the entire entertainment industry. People like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have gone on record saying that they became filmmakers because they rode on Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a very cinematic attraction, and it's something that, uh, uh, it, it, I mean, it's so cinematic that it, you can... You, every time you ride it, you get a, a whole different perspective. You can ride that whole ride looking backwards uh, in the boat and still get a full story, a full view. And it's because it was made by filmmakers. So it, it was a fun project to work on. And so now Jerry has asked me to do uh, another documentary with him. So I'll be editing the uh, – we're, we're just about to start work on it – a documentary on the history of the 1964-65 New York World's okay. Fair. And if you know anything about that, this is where Disney – had been contacted to provide four pavilions for the attraction, uh, and this that then later ended up in the Disney theme parks. So it's a small world. <laughs> was for uh, Pepsi and UNICEF in uh, in uh, the New York World's Fair. Great moments with Mr. Lincoln was for the state of Illinois had a, a, its piv- pavilion there, and um, Carousel of Progress, which you know was first at, you know was at, after the World's Fair was first at Disneyland and then moved to to Florida to Walt Disney World. Uh, that was part of the World's Fair then, and also something that was called Magic Skyways, which was the Ford Pavilion, which became the primeval world diorama at the, on the Disneyland Railroad when you go around the, the, the park on the train you see the dinosaurs. So it was a watershed moment in the history of uh, audio-animatronics that led to everything that we have now in the parks. And so it's a fascinating history, and we've got interviews with uh, people like Bob Gurr, who uh, you know was from uh, Walt Disney Imagineering and designed... Uh, a lot of the ride vehicles, and we've got Raleigh Crump interviewed, and a lot of these these wonderful Imagineers. So I get to piece it all together and 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 uh, make this wonderful documentary with it. So I'm working on that. Um, I'm doing some voice work uh, currently for a project I can't talk about right now. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't talk about it yet. Well, I'll talk about it soon. Um, and uh, I'm writing some books, not just the one that my wife keeps telling me I need to write, but I'm writing some <laughs> other books too. Writing a book on on uh, on not so much how to do visual effects, but how to get a job doing visual effects, because that's the part that gets left out when you know you go to school or you teach yourself or something like that. So uh, it's called Pixel Pushers, uh, getting work as a digital artist. So I'm working on that. That's and cool. That'll be out, that's a good uh, name. Hopefully that'll be out either at the end of this year or, or next year. Um, and um, always working on something. And then I have my very silly YouTube channel, 
which is all about tropical fish. It's called Aquatasy, A-Q-U-A-T-A-S-Y, like aquatic fantasy, um, because that's the hobby that keeps me sane. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, when you work in visual effects and animation and acting and voiceover and games, at any given moment, it feels like there is a multi-million dollar production sitting on your shoulders waiting for you to get your part of it done. That's how it feels. The reality of it is, it is. There really is a multi-million dollar production sitting on your shoulders waiting for you to get your part of it done. And that's a lot of pressure. And so I chill out by staring at a fish tank and, you know, get my sleeves wet and that sort of thing. I've been keeping fish since I was a kid. So uh, I kind of accidentally fell into having a YouTube channel about it. Uh, I was on an online forum trying to get some information about a particular fish species. And everybody on the forum was like, hey, everybody post a video of your tank. So I thought, all right, I'll join in. <laughs> but me being me, and you know, uh, Mr. Visual Effects and Animation and all that stuff like that, I can't just like get out the cell phone and shoot something and upload it. No, I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta, you know, add titles to it and graphics and music and edit it and all that stuff like that. And I was looking for somewhere to host it, and YouTube seemed easy, but you have to create a channel for yourself. So I thought, well, I better give the channel a name. But if I'm giving it a name, I better get like a URL for it just in case. And then sort of the snowball from there. So I, I did the first video. And I posted a link to the uh, the forum there, and everybody on the forum was like, dude, that's great. You should do another one. So I did another video. I did another. And now the channel has, we're just about to take over to 10,000 subscribers. Wow. For a fish tank channel. Yeah, but it's Darth Vader's fish tank channel. So <laughs> what <do you> want? <laughs> that's what they don't show you in that little chamber. And so, you know, the tagline for the, for, the, for the YouTube channel is it's a fresh look at the hobby of fish keeping from a humorous and cinematic perspective. So I use my, my uh, you know, my comedic background and my background in films and, and, uh, and animation and effects, and I apply that to the videos. So there's a lot of motion graphics, a lot of visual effects. There's, there's uh, you know, I mean, not film quality because I don't have the time to do, to do it to film quality, but enough for YouTube. So like during the whole Harlem Shake craze on YouTube, the, my fish did the Harlem Shake and I caught them doing it. Uh, <laughs> things like that. I have sassy back-talking fish. Uh, you don't have to live with them. I do, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and it's fun, and I do a lot of teaching you know, videos and things like that, and, and it's great, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, there's a, a community that's built up around it, and it's, it's something I never expected to have happen, but the, the fun thing about YouTube is that you get to go directly, the, the, the content creator goes directly to the audience. There's no middleman. There's no studios or gatekeepers or anything like that. It's just you and your audience. Mm-hmm. And that's it's fun. It's exhilarating. It's just it's like going to a convention. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to be a, a guest at so many conventions around the country, around the world, and uh, and doing podcasts like this. It's like I get to go straight to an audience, which is is just a, a wonderful blessing and delight to be able to do. So I'm working on that, and then I'm also uh, developing developing a couple of of uh, series, a couple of uh, uh, it's hard to call them TV series now because you know so many things are streaming. But uh, we'll see. They're in their early stages of development. One's animated, one's live action, and we'll see what happens. They're both both humorous. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah. And uh, they both have science fiction overtones or, or comic book type overtones to them. So uh, we'll see what happens. And if people want to f- follow that and get the progress, they can go to com and they can go to uh, there and you know find out what's going on with me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have a, a question for you since you, you know, you're into the the Star Wars pretty deep, I would say. And, oh, yes. you know, 
it sounds like you your time is pretty well spent. Um, but are you into anything more um, on the nerdier side, like you know Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that? It's funny. I used to play, or I used to try. I should say, I used to try to play Dungeons and Dragons with my 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 college friends, because it seemed like no matter what we did, we never got very far in the game. We were just so busy, just chit chatting and doing stuff like that. So it was fun, you know. I I had a character that I, that I had made up. I forgot what he was, but he was uh, his name was Cheb Pelowick. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't know, weird name. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there are things that I'm involved. in. My big hobby, like I said, is you know, is, is fish keeping. But right, uh, right. You know, I, I watch a lot of uh, of different you know shows. I'm 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 deep into the you know the the, the Arrowverse on CW and and watching that sort of thing. Thing. Um, I particularly enjoy uh, The Flash and uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, there's uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I'm not allowed to have a lot of hobbies because they will become all consuming. I love model railroads. I'm a big model railroad fanatic, and I'm not allowed to have model railroads because they, they, this becomes too much. <laughs> takes well, up too much space and takes up too much time, too much money, and things like that. Um, but um, and and I I don't know. It's 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 I don't have a, a great deal of uh, hobbies there, but I do I do kind of follow it and I watch a lot of, of different YouTube channels about various uh, nerdy stuff, and I'm always keeping track of what's going on in uh, in uh, films and games and comic books and things like that. Partly because I'm, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd. <laughs> and part of it is because uh, it's the business. And so, you know, you, you, you keep track of that because that's also where you're going to get some jobs occasionally. So that's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, um, Joe, do you have any other questions you would like to ask? Come on. Don't be afraid. No, come no. The, I'm just saying. to the dark hey, side. I, come to the dark side. I've been asking quite a few. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go for you, it. You kind of mentioned the, the like, you know people you've come across and everything else, and I've had a lot of that same issue, mm-hmm. uh, the excitement. Uh, it's funny being from Modesto, mm-hmm. uh, you know Georgia's hometown. Right. How we have not had the film industry take off in town like we should have. Uh, yeah, that is kind of peculiar. I, 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 I and I, there's no reason why it shouldn't. Uh, and, it, you know, I don't know if you've seen. I, I have a production company that we I started mm-hmm. a few years back. As a matter of fact, I have a sci-fi project. I just sent you the link to. You might want to check it out. Okay. <laughs> Intent. Wink, wink. Yes. <laughs> wink. Hello. Yes. Uh, it could be a lot of fun. I'll have my like, people call your people. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> like, but you know. No, that sounds George cool. Is from I'll here. Check it out. Yeah. George is from here. You're from nearby, actually. Right. I believe. Yep. yep. I'm then, from the San Francisco You know, I grew area. up across the street from Jeremy Renner. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Timothy Oliphant was from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Marsters, it's just, it's amazing that we have not had this huge blowout. Yeah, and, and it sh- I don't understand why it hasn't happened, but, uh, well, you, you need to make it happen. Uh, I'm working on that. I have a couple yeah. of people who are also involved. Good. Uh, so, uh, wouldn't mind getting you involved in any way you would have, Absolutely. based on time. Yeah, I would love to. Um, it's going to yeah. be fun. That's my whole mm-hmm. goal. If it's not yeah, fun, that's the thing. Fun. That's the thing. You have to. I mean, anybody who's interested in getting into this business and in, into the entertainment industry, whether it's as a performer or behind the scenes or you know whatever it is, um, it's it's a crazy business, and you work long hours. And as you know, you know it's it's you know you pull long shifts, you do crazy stuff. A lot of 
I mean, I, I, I got stories that will curl your hair or straighten it if it's already curly. Um, <laughs> but, Luckily, uh, mine's gone. <laughs> it'll, it'll make it regrow. Uh, <laughs> it'll make your scalp stand on end. Um, but it, it's a crazy business. But at the same time, you do it because it's a fun business. And uh, there's a reward for it. I mean, uh, people say to me, oh, it must be wonderful and glamorous to work in visual effects. And yeah, sometimes it is, you know. It's it, it is really cool. It's I'm not gonna lie. It's really 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 cool. But there are days where it's really 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 tedious. Yeah. You know, if if you're doing something where, um, I was working on on uh, um, a perfect storm, and one of the shots I had to do was I had to do a sky replacement because the sky was nice and pretty and beautiful sunny clouds and you know, everything like that. And uh, so I had to trace the outline of Mark Wahlberg's head for about 1,200 frames. To, to, to isolate him from the background so we could make it a, a new background go in there that looked like an actual storm. That's not exciting. It's not glamorous. <laughs> but when you see the finished product and when you hear the audience react to the finished product and, they're no, and they don't even know there's any effects in there, that's the cool part. That's the magic. You know, the, the, the greatest compliment that anybody can give you as a visual effects artist is, I didn't know there were any effects in that. That's the best thing ever. You mean you know, they weren't uh, on that boat out in that storm? Yeah. No, they weren't. <laughs> oh, not damn. even you just, close. You just ruined the movie for me. I know. <laughs> um, and also as an actor, too. I mean, there are long, long hours on set. There's, uh, uh, you know, there's an expression in Hollywood that says, uh, hurry up and wait, which means that everything seems to be, at, at, you know, got to go, got to go at a moment's notice, got to go, but you're still sitting around and waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I shot a commercial one time for Taco Bell. Uh, it was a Super Bowl commercial played during the Super Bowl in in uh, in '97. Uh, we shot it right at the end in December of '96, and uh, it was it was the the Feel the Force uh, promotion where if you if you got the little peel off sticker off of your drink or whatever like that and you put it to your forehead and it came up with a it was like heat sensitive or whatever came up with the right thing and you won you could win a, a Hummer one of the original Hummers uh, with Darth that. Vader's picture on it. And it was actually a picture of me as Darth Vader, by the way. Um, so uh, so it, it was a three-day shoot. And I remember that we shot it at this big... It used to be an airplane hangar in Santa Monica, down by the Santa Monica Pier. It's it huge, huge building. And uh, we had it filled with extras. It was made to look like a, uh, uh, a, uh, a movie premiere on some other planet. So it's Vader, 3PO, Chewbacca, R2, and uh, a bunch of stormtroopers. And so the first day, my call time was 7 a.m. I get there. I get, you know, suited up about halfway suited up just because you don't want to put the whole thing on until you're about ready to go um, until, you know, if they were going to give us like the, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, 45 minute warning. Then we get the rest of it on and then, you know, be ready to go and just wait and just put the head on at the last minute. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and all all day they're going, OK, be ready. We're going to get to you in just a moment. We're going to get to you in just a moment. We're going to get to you in just a moment. Um, so it gets up to about 12 and they go, OK, that's lunch. All right, fine. So, <laughs> so after lunch, they're like, okay, be ready right after lunch because we're going to get right to you. They never got to me that whole first day. <laughs> so I'm oh, half suited no. up as Vader and I never got to me. Second day, same thing from 7 a.m. up to lunch. Okay, that's break, lunch. Then after lunch, it's like, we're going to get to you right after lunch. They didn't get to me until about 2.30 in the afternoon. So we finally shot. We shot for the rest of the day with me. And then they needed one shot on the third day, they needed a close-up of Vader's boot. 
And of course, they, they, the production company was saying, well, can you just leave the boot behind? And it's like, no, if you want the boot, you, you have to take Andrew. It was Lucasfilm <laughs> saying, huh? he's the boot. So, so, uh, so I, I waited around all day on set. I never even touched the costume. We didn't even unpack it out of the crate, out of our shipping crate. And I still got paid all three days. So, <laughs> oh, wow. But, you know, at, 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 you know, at union rates and everything. So, uh, and got lovely residuals from that too nicely uh, but uh, but that's the way the business is you can wait and wait and wait there's hours and tedium so if you want to get into this business you have to keep that in mind you know it's it's fun but you know there really should be a, a, a business there should be a film business in, in, in Modesto I think it, you've got uh, the, you know the, the right weather to do like if you're gonna do any kind of outdoor stuff you know shooting and things like that on a back lot um, and uh, and lots of studio. You know, there should be room for studio space. It's and, and there's cost, talent there. Yeah, cost. There's uh, wonderful spots to do locations. Yeah, uh, and up it's, and down and this it, valley. Yeah, and and it's and it's located close enough to the Bay Area that you can get there in like an hour and a half or whatever. It's you know why not? Yeah, it's at a great spot, and you just got recruited. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna put you to work on helping us get that going yeah. out here. Okay. <laughs> I think we're off to a good start having him on the show. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I really am. This is fun. This has really uh, been fun. Yeah, definitely going to have you back. That, good. That's, that's a that's a no-brainer. All righty. I got yeah. plenty more stories. I, I didn't. I haven't even told you about the time I almost caught on fire in the Vader costume. Wow. <laughs> well, well we how's our time, Ray? We have uh, time for that. One. <laughs> I mean, we we still got some time. All right. Okay, I'll tell you that one. Um. I, I was doing a commercial for Kenner Toys, and uh, the the uh, the plotline of the commercial is that there's a kid. He's playing with his action figures in his bedroom, sitting on the floor. He hears a noise. He looks behind him at his closet doors, and he sees lasers cutting through the closet doors. the The doors fall to the floor, and the room floods with light. And in walk two stormtroopers and Darth Vader. Very impressive. Um, so I'm back there with the two guys playing the stormtroopers. Uh, and we're 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 shooting, we're getting ready to shoot, and we're getting, they got the thing, you know, really pumped up with light back there to to flood the room to get that really impressive thing, and they got the, the you know the fake smoke going through there and all of that, and even through the back of that thick helmet, and it's a thick helmet, I can feel the heat from these lights because they're that close to me, and I'm going, wow, that's really uncomfortable, and then all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, do you smell smoke? And it was the cape. The Vader was a big wool cape, and uh, it was starting to smoke. So it's like, kill the lights, kill the lights, kill the lights. And so they had to kill the lights, and I was, I was like, literally seconds from bursting into flames. Oh, that's, my god! That's how bad it was. They had to take the cape off of me, go cool it off, that kind of thing, put the cape back on. Uh, they had to rearrange the lights and find a different way to, uh, to play. This is before, you know, where, where you had you know, LED lights for, for set lighting and things like that. But, uh, yeah, they had them just too close. Uh, so uh, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me yeah. you started screaming about Mustafar. <laughs> no, because this was way before that, uh, before Revenge of the Sith. So, oh, yeah. No, but that. But uh, I did actually do a commercial on Mustafar one time. I shot a commercial for M and M's, for dark chocolate M and M's, which you know, which was yeah, because Vader's turning them to the dark side. Uh -huh. So it's called. It, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Red's Decision. It's a, it's a funny commercial. It's a wonderful commercial. That's but, uh, but it was a brutal shoot because I had to do a print ad and a TV commercial for M&M's. And we only had one day to shoot them in. 
So I was in the costume for 21 hours straight. Ooh. I got to take the head off, but I had everything else on for 21 hours straight. I lost five pounds just sweating. Because when they didn't need me for the commercial, they needed me for the print ad and back and forth. Also, we had to go all the way down to Buenos Aires, Argentina to shoot this thing. Holy crap. Because the advertising agency, Gray Advertising, they had a $300,000 budget, but they wanted to make a million-dollar commercial. And the dollar, but the exchange rate went three times as far down there. So that's where we ended up because we had to rebuild an entire set for Mustafar. And we also brought David Tattersall, the director of photography for the prequels, down there with us. So it looks just like the movies. It's great. And he was fantastic to work with. David's wonderful. Um, But uh, it was a very brutal shoot. And it was just constantly back and forth and a little bit of break here and there. But I, I was in that costume for 21 hours straight. Now, the fun, the fun part of that is, that, uh, I don't know if anybody knows who the voices are for the M&Ms. The yellow M&M is J.K. Simmons, who everybody knows as J. Jonah Jameson from the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, and now is an Oscar winner and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the voice, the voice of the red M&M is Billy West, you know, the voice of Ren and Stimpy and Fry yeah. from, from, from uh, Futurama and everything. Uh, the funny thing is, I know Billy. And, uh, and so... The next time I saw him, I said, hey, it was fun making that commercial with you. He goes, what are you talking about? It's like the M&M's commercial. It's like, you weren't there, though. You didn't show up. And it's like, hey. Because like, <laughs> he, he, of course, did his part later on, you know, recording it later. Right. But, uh, and, uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fun adventure. Every, you know, I, I'm very fortunate and very blessed to be able to do what I do for a living. I tell people I'm an ordinary guy who gets to do extraordinary things. And I, and I don't, I don't take it for granted. I never do. That's one reason why I do conventions. That's why I do signings. That's why I raise money for the Starlight Children's Foundation and things like that. I say it's because I spent many years on the other side of the table at conventions, you know, before I was ever asked to sit down on the side with a chair with a handful of Sharpies and a stack of eight by tens. And I never lose sight of that. So that's why I do that. That's why I love doing you know, a podcast like this with you guys. Because it's my way of giving back to to the fandom that I've I've been a part of and been blessed by all this time. So that's awesome. That's so respectable. Yeah. And and yeah. I'm honored to have you here. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we're this has, uh, this has been fun. You guys are asking great questions too. So, so surprisingly I, enough, <laughs> we're actually coming up on the the end of the show. If you can believe it, time has just uh, flown by. Well, we're going to have to do this again, definitely. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. This, this was great because we weren't positive we were going to get you today. Oh, okay. So we hadn't put a lot of time into what questions we were going to ask. So this is Ray and I winging it. Yeah. So it's a good thing you're so verbose, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> we had hey, nothing. It was like, you just it was, saved us. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, so was it hot in the costume? And hey, what'd you have for lunch, Andrew? That was all we had. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for today. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Oh, no, uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. So before we close out, we'll do um, our normal thing, and I'm going to ask you, um, where can people find more of your craziness? I know you kind of touched on it earlier in the show, sure. but we'll get it all together here at the end. Sure. Okay, gladly. If people want to find me or find out more about me, they can go to candrewnelson.com. Uh, that's my official website there. And uh, and also there's a way to for people to get uh, uh, signed photos through there as well if they want that it's it's through a, a, I work with a group called Charitable Stars that does this through eBay and it's the only uh, legitimate outlet on eBay where you can find you know st- stuff signed by me mm-hmm. and it's the same price as if somebody went to a, con- a convention and that that money helps benefit the Starlight Children's Foundation 
Um, you can also find me on Facebook. I am Sandra Nelson on Facebook. I think I'm the only Sandra Nelson on Facebook, as far as I know. Uh, you can find me at C underscore Andrew underscore Nelson on Twitter, because there's some guy in Australia who's got it without the underscores, and he's not using it, and he won't give it up. So, <laughs> so that's okay. So, uh, you can also find me as C Andrew Nelson on Instagram. And as I mentioned, I am a Quadacy on YouTube. Check that out there. A-Q-U-A-T-A-S-Y. Nice. That's where you can find me. And if people want to find out what I was doing with uh, uh, Theme Parkology, they can go to themeparkology.com and and find that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean documentary, which is pretty darn cool, if I do say so myself. (laughs) That's awesome. And Joe, where can people find more of you, sir? Uh, You can find me over on Facebook at Joe Cahill, Director, Producer, or Steamhouse Entertainment. Steamhouse Entertainment will also work for you for YouTube, Instagram, and you can find us at Coffee Steampunk over on Twitter. Nice. And yes. as, as for myself, Ray, you can find me acting as the Chronicler on Chronicles of Lost Realm. You can type that into Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and they will all get you to where you need to be. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. And thank you again, Mr. Nelson, for joining us. Thank you. And everybody, the Force is strong with you. <laughs> and with that, may the Force be with you. <laughs>